we are on the cusp of spring, which is my wife's most favorite uh, time of year. And so today we're going to talk about, we're doing this series, Blank Happens, and today we're going to talk about Growth Happens, and I love Miriam because she loves spring. And so she'll be planting or uh, pruning or plucking or, you know, whatever, whatever you do when you have flowers. And her birthday is in May, Mother's Day also May, our anniversary is in June. And so I will say, Miriam, what, what do you want for, you know, these holidays, these things are coming up? And she'll say, plants. Makes it so easy on a brother. I mean, I, I just appreciate that. I had a girlfriend one time and she like... Uh, you know, dinner at Taco Bell wasn't good enough for her. So Miriam is so much easier to please. And so I appreciate her for that. Um, but in life, growth happens. Now, some growth is good. Some growth is bad. Uh, I, I kind of did a little list. Things that we want to grow. We want our retirement account to grow. We certainly want that to grow. Uh, our, our intellect, we want to grow. Uh, our strength, our physical strength, we want that to grow. Uh, our waistline, not so much, you know, not so grow. Uh, a credit card bill, no. Kudzu, we hate. Uh, we don't want that to grow. And in spiritual growth, we, when you become a follower of Jesus, there's sort of this idea that when you become a follower, by the time you get to a certain age, you will have grown in your faith and you'll know more and you'll, you'll be better at it. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm not always satisfied with where I am uh, in spiritual growth. I've been a follower of Jesus for over five decades. I've been following Christ for a long time. And yet here's what I find in my life, and it may not be the same for you, but I know it is for me. Sometimes I wish I was better at stuff. I wish I was better at praying, you know? I I wish I was uh, more fervent in prayer. I I wish I was better at uh, not being anxious about the future. Sometimes... You know, I know God has control, but sometimes I get anxious about stuff. I wish I was better at resisting certain temptations. There are things that still tempt me. I wish they didn't. I don't know if anybody else in the room can uh, uh, resonate with this, but I wish I had a tighter rein on my tongue sometimes. Uh, <laughs> uh, you too. Uh, yeah, you know. uh, I saw a guy, he tweeted the other day, On my subway ride home last night, I offered a pregnant lady my seat, saying, Here, you can have my seat. I know what it's like. My wife is pregnant, too. Turns out she wasn't pregnant. Also turns out he wasn't a lady. Uh, So, you know, um, sometimes we put our foot in our mouths, and it happens, right? I I wish I was better. Uh, I wish I was a better spouse. I wish I was a better parent. I wish I was a better pastor sometimes. I wish I uh, I had a bigger impact on people. And so today we're going to talk about this, this parable. Now, you'll recall if you've been here any time at all, uh, several months ago we did a series on the parables, and we didn't do this one. They're, they're, we didn't do them all, we just did most of them. This is a little obscure parable. It's found in Mark, uh, Mark chapter 4, I believe, Mark 4. And this is this little obscure parable that kind of, is, kind of mimics some other parables. It has to do with sowing and reaping, and we see parables about that a lot. And you have to understand, I don't think we have many farmers in the room. In fact, I looked this up. There are only 2% of Americans, uh, either our farm or ranch families, 2%, there's not many. 
But my dad uh, worked on a farm, li- uh, lived on a farm when he grew up. My mother lived on a farm when she grew up. Both her, uh, my grandparents were, were farmers. And so we're not far from uh, an agrarian society. And so when Jesus told stories, he told stories about stuff that everybody would know. And everybody knew farming back then because you grew your own food. You didn't have Publix. You didn't have uh, Ingalls. You, uh, if you were going to eat it, you had to grow it. And if Jesus was doing parables today, he would talk about the iPhone or he would talk about Airbnbs or driving. But because he lived in an agrarian uh, world, he used these agrarian sort of stories because everybody understood them. So he tells this little story, and I think he's talking about spiritual growth. Look at what he says. This is what the kingdom of God is like. Time out just for a second. Whenever in the Bible you see the expression kingdom of God, we can understand that he's talking about uh, when God reigns in my life, when he has charge of my life, or when God has charge of the world. So remember he he taught us this model prayer, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And there's an implication there that God's will is always done perfectly in, in heaven, but not always perfectly right now. On earth, and what we're asking for is that God's perfect will be done here, just like it is always done there. So when you see kingdom of God or God's kingdom, you know he's talking about, okay, when, when God does what he wants to do in my life or in the world. Okay? So this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scattered seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts a sickle to it because the harvest has come. And so he talks about how you, there's this sowing and reaping thing that goes on. Now, it applies to spiritual growth. Let's talk about four things that you need to know about spiritual growth. All right, let's just jump in. Number one, there's no growing without sowing. These are so clever. I, 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 I spent minutes thinking of these. Um, Mark 4, 26, this is what we just saw. The kingdom of God is like this. A man scatters seed on the ground. So if I want spiritual growth in my life, there are two parts. There's God's parts and there's my parts. I do the sowing, he causes the growing. This is how it works. And it is our job to sow the right kinds of seeds. And you want to know how much training you need to sow seeds? You need no training to sow seeds. In fact, if you want to, as soon as the service is over with, you can go now if you want, but I would encourage you to stay. But if you uh, want to, you can drive up the road, and there's Lowe's on the left, and there's uh, Home Depot on the right, and you can go to those stores, and today, this, today, you can buy a big bag of seed. They don't card you. They don't care if you have a degree in seedology. They will sell you seeds because anybody and everybody can sow seeds. So we think about, I was thinking, okay, well, what kind of seeds can we talk about? And, and you naturally go to, you know, uh, love, joy, peace, patience. Let's talk about those kinds of things. But today I want to talk about two seeds that are a little more obscure, but they have this tremendous benefit in your life if you'll sow them. 
Now, it's been a while since I read that story about Jack and the Beanstalk, so maybe you can help me. I think in the story there's a guy named Jack. Am I right? And he has a cow. Yeah? No? <laughs> what does he have? A what? A bean. Well, yeah, he has a bean at the end. You want to come? You want to talk about it? Uh, so... <clears throat> You should have your mom read that to you because it's really a good story. Jack has a cow, am I right? Don't talk. Uh, anybody else? It's a cow, right? What? Uh, all right, work. Uh, let's stipulate it was a cow, okay? You just uh, let's be a cow. All right, so Jack, I think his mom says, go sell the cow for money. Yes? Great, thank you. Paula, come up. Uh, no, Paula's going to give me the... I like Paula so much. So Jack has a mom who says go sell the cow. And on the way, Jack gets distracted by a guy selling magic beans. This is where the beans come in. He gets beans only eventually because he sells the cow for beans. And his mom is aggravated and throws the beans out the window, best I can remember. And then this giant beanstalk and goes up to the clouds and there's a giant and blah, blah, fee, fi, fo, fun. All that happens. Okay. It's incredibly irrelevant to anything today. Anyway, but the beans were magical. So I'm going to give you a couple of things, seeds to sow that while they're not magical, they are impactful in your life. So let's talk about two things. One has to do with uh, others a seed you sow for others, and one has to do with the seed you sow for yourself, okay? So the first seed is this. I, I'm going to try to get you, I'm going to try to talk you in to sowing the seed of presence, of being present with people. In First Peter, it says, show proper respect to everyone. And then it says, love the family of believers. There's this, there's this great Christian thinker named uh, Richard Foster who said, one of the greatest expressions of love is simply to notice people and pay attention to them. There is this uh, current phenomenon called continuous partial attention. You heard of this? It has to do a lot with, with this, continuous partial attention. So as an experiment, go to the mall... And when you go to the mall, go to the playground area, also known as the cesspool of germs. And I want you to notice, next time you are at the mall and you walk by the, the cesspool of germs, I want you to notice at the play area how many parents are watching their kids and not their phones. In fact, it's much easier to count the number of parents not watching their phones because the number is typically zero. We don't give undivided attention to people like we used to, mostly because we're distracted. There's been a recent survey by Microsoft. In 2000, the year 2000, our attention span was 12 seconds. We were not setting the world on fire. 12 seconds was our attention span. Uh, today, it's down to 8.55 seconds. That's 20 years. We've gone down one-third. At that rate, pretty soon we won't be able to give attention at all. Have you ever been to a place and like, like you're, somebody's checking out and, and there's somebody, you, they're on the phone while they're checking out and there's a checker or there's somebody trying to serve them and they're not even giving them their attention? 
And I was at the, I was at the airport the other day trying to get the ticket solution, and, and this jerk walks up and he's on the phone. And Miriam said, get off the phone. You need to talk to that person. And so I had to hang up, you know. So uh, <laughs> it's funny. I'm glad you got it. Uh, Dagny got it. You're good, good. I think you all are the one that's muddled. I, that, I delivered that perfectly. Uh, so we have gotten into this, this rhythm in our lives where we're not present with people. And it is a beautiful gift to give somebody your attention. So we saw it last week. Does anybody remember? I hate to ask this crowd. Uh, anybody remember the story from last week? There's a woman. She'd been uh, ill for 12 years. Remember that? Lucy. That's right. Her name was Lucy. We named her. And All right. So here's the quiz. Uh, Mark, the author Mark in the, in the New Testament, sometimes puts a story Inside another story, there's a name for that. Do you remember what it was? Why do I even come? Uh, it's called a Markin Sandwich. Remember that? It's kind of funny. The quiz will be next week. Uh, Markin Sandwich. Mark has this kind of quirky way of writing the gospel where he's telling a story, and then that story, he inserts another story. And so there's a guy named Jairus. He has a daughter, 12 years old. She's ill. He said, Jesus, can you come heal her? And Jesus says, yes. And they're on the way to Jairus' house. And this woman comes up and she has this physical uh, issue and she's healed. And Jesus spends time with her. He practices this idea of sowing the seeds of presence. And he gives this woman his undivided attention. When we have our smartphones out, again, th there is some research, so there's a lot of research done about this. Uh, they did this, uh, I forget who it was, but they did this um, research about conversations with someone. And so there would be someone at the table and somebody else at the table. And if somebody puts their smartphone out, immediately the conversation is shorter and less deep because we are distracted. First service have this in airplane mode and it kept giving me notifications it is it, it's it's the beast i mean it's like it, it is so incredibly distracting and love and distraction are the worst of bedfellows in fact look at what it says in the book of galatians share each other's burdens how can you do this if you don't listen to the other person's burdens. I mean, we are, we are called as followers of Jesus to listen to folks. When I was growing up, the idea was the best way to listen, they, there were kind of three things. Number one is um, you didn't talk when somebody was speaking. And then while they were speaking, you would go, mm-hmm, yeah, oh, mm, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. And then at the end, you would repeat it. So what you're saying is your husband is a jerk. Uh, you know, something like that. So uh, you, would, you would listen quietly. You would uh-huh a lot. And then you would repeat it. But Harvard Business School did some research on this. And they found that folks who are the best listeners do three different things. So when you're in conversation with someone, the best listeners don't just listen. They ask questions. Like during the conversation. It's a conversation. 
And so you'll say something like, uh, do you mind if I uh, uh, interrupt just for a second? Could you clarify this for me? And so great listeners don't just listen, they also engage. And then they found Harvard Business School found that those who are listening also encourage. So while you're in the conversation, a great listener will say, well, okay, I think that was really great. And then the third thing that they do, great listeners, they offer advice. They say, okay, well, here's something that you could do. It's not just listening and uh-huhing and repeating. It's engaging someone. It's sowing the seeds of presence. And so while we were in Salt Lake City this week, we stayed in an Airbnb. Um, I've stayed in good Airbnbs and I've stayed in bad Airbnbs. This one fall closer to the not as great. Uh, it just was, they had weird, it was weird. They had weird stuff going on. And so... They had a they had a coffee maker this big. You could you could sleep twelve people with a coffee maker this big. Now it was Mormon country. They do coffee. Maybe that was the reason they had a coffee maker this big. Would you like? I'd like you to guess how many mugs were there. Dos. That's right. Two mugs in a house that can sleep twelve people. And so uh, some folks that went with us uh, bought a coffee maker. We left it for them, and we, we bought some mugs and left it for them because who's going to ship it back? I mean, we're not going to fly it back. And so last night I sat down, the guy uh, who rented us the house, and I wrote him an, uh, an email. I said, dude, here are some of our observations that we think would make your Airbnb better. Because, honestly... It wasn't as good an experience as it could have been. Now, if you're receiving that, don't you think, wow, these people cared enough to donate a coffee maker and mugs, and they care enough to tell me how to be better with this? I mean, at the end, I said, if you have questions, you can uh, email me or call me. I mean, I'm, we just want to be your friend. We want to help you. We want you to be better. I need advice on getting better. I need people to help me. And so, great listeners, when you sow the seed of presence, you're saying, okay, I'm not just going to hear your words. I'm going to get involved in your life. That's the seed of presence. I'm going to be, I'm going to be focused on you. This second seed has been part of the Christian world for centuries. It's called silence and solitude. And Jesus practiced it, and he had a pretty good spiritual life. And so if it's good enough for Jesus, maybe it's something we ought to do. And it says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And we live in a world where we cannot be quiet. And it damages our souls. It, it is hurtful to us. So I'm glad you're sitting down. I'm going to issue a challenge to you right now. I'm going to challenge you to a digital detox. For the rest of the day, don't look at your phone. Ah. Uh. That feeling you're feeling right now is called withdrawal. Uh, it's what happens when addicts uh, uh, get cut off. It's, uh, I mean, 
It is incredibly addictive. Maybe that's too much. So I started doing this. At night, I don't really want notifications. I turn it on airplane mode. Some people will plug their phone in a different room. Here's what happens when we wake up and immediately look at our phones. By the way, over 80% of Americans do that. They wake up, look at their phones. You're going to say, that's where my alarm is. You know, they sell something called an alarm clock. You don't have to do that. Or you turn it off and then you set it down. I'm as guilty as anyone. So, please, I'm learning this too. What used to happen in my life was I would wake up, I would open my phone, I would scroll through Twitter, because that's uplifting. (laughs) There's never anything negative on Twitter. And physiologically, we, we are messing ourselves up. Let me tell you how this works. I don't, I mean, I read this. When you're asleep, there's something happens in your mind. It's called delta waves. These are your sleep waves in your mind. That's where you have deep sleep. Now, after delta waves comes theta waves. That's when you're sort of awake, but you're just not quite awake. Kind of how I feel now. Uh, A little bit, kind of a little muddled, you know, kind of. But it's delta and then theta. And the next waves are called um, alpha waves. And those are, you're still a little bit more awake, but you're not quite awake. And eventually when you get like in full rhythm, you go to beta waves. So delta to beta. What happens when you look at your phone immediately is you skip theta and you skip alpha and you just jump right into processing information. And researchers have found this does three really, really negative things in your life. My task as a pastor is to give you information that can help you be the best follower of Christ you can be. When we look at our phones immediately, three negative things happen. It causes an increase in stress and anxiety. That makes sense, doesn't it? Because when I read that the Russians bombed Ukraine or inflation or they're going to uh, you know, arrest President Trump or... I mean, all that stuff causes me stress, causes me anxiety. It's just not good for my soul. The second thing that it does to us, it impedes our ability to prioritize. We start to get, we just don't know what should be first. And then the third thing is, it's just, it causes sort of, it sets us up for being distracted for the rest of the day. And I can tell you this. I don't need any help being distracted during the day. I'm a little bit ADHD. Um, They did a test, and on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm a 12. Uh, So I'm a little distracted. I, I literally, when I'm writing a sermon, I can be writing a sermon. I can be in the middle of a sentence, not a thought, a sentence, and I will think, oh, I should check the score on blah, blah, blah. In the middle of a sentence. You know what? There's a clinical uh, diagnosis for that. That's called being insane. I mean, how stupid is that? It's like, why do you do that? So I don't need any help being distracted. 
And so if I do this, if I look at my phone, then it causes this sort of this process of distraction. And the Bible tells us, be, what's the word? Still. We are commanded in Scripture to be still. And yet, I don't know about you, when I walk in a room and it's quiet, I don't know how to handle that. And so I'll turn on the television, I'll turn on the radio, I'll start to scroll my something. And yet we just read that Jesus got up early and He went to be by Himself to pray. And the good news for you today is you can do this. It might be uncomfortable at first. You might have to develop it. But most of us are in the car sometime during the day by ourselves. I am. And so, don't turn the radio on. Don't turn anything on. So, if you want to, you can have a conversation with the Lord. You can just act like He's riding shotgun. He's right there. You just talk to Him. You can be quiet when you take a walk. I used to have my headphones in, and I still do some, but I can take a walk and just turn everything off. And while you're walking, you can pray. Have you heard nature lately? This morning, from my front door to my car, I heard a mockingbird. They are phenomenal. Some of them know 600 different songs. 600 different songs. They listen to the American Top 40. Uh, they know all of those. Casey Kasem, you know, they know all of that. Uh, before I got to the car, I heard a woodpecker way down there. I mean, there's something about nature that helps us connect to God. And so you can be quiet before God. In the evenings, I may have made it a practice. I'm going to think of five things for which I'm thankful that day. Lord, thank you for this and this and this. And when I wake up in the morning, here's my practice now. My phone is on my nightstand. It's on, uh, what's it, airplane mode? I was going to say pilot mode. I knew that was wrong. Airplane mode. I get up. I wash off my face, I go get coffee, I go to my chair where I read my Bible, I read it on my tablet, I read my Bible. I have made a commitment I'm not going to look at my phone for 30 minutes after I wake up. I set a little alarm, I don't want to miss it. You know, uh, here, Here's what I've noticed. It's, it's incredibly calming for me. I, I, still, I still engage, I start to think, what am I going to do, you know, what's, what's the day hold for me? That's okay but I'm not distracted. Here's the, there's a lot of research around this. Where you direct your attention first thing in the morning and last thing before bed shapes you more than anything else the rest of the day. Since that's true, the first thing I think about, the last thing I think about, if that's going to shape who I am, and if I want spiritual growth to be part of who I am, then it by necessity means I need to be thinking about God first and last, those are the seeds I want to plant. I want to plant the seeds of knowing God first in the morning, experiencing God last at night. This is a pathway to spiritual growth. 
Let's go on with the story. What we sow, he will grow. Night and day, whether we sleep or get up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. The farmer plants the seeds, and God causes it to grow. You can plant bad seeds, I have in my life. I've planted seeds of impatience, uh, not the plant, uh, uh, being impatient with people. I've planted seeds of half-truths, of smarminess. There's a guy named Peter in the New Testament, and he was known as a bit uh, hot-tempered and loose with words. One time he uh, said, Jesus, uh, you're not going to be crucified. Another time he said, if you are crucified, I'm going to be with you the whole way. And yet he has a comeuppance and he denies Christ and he folds like a cheap suit. And all of a sudden he's restored and he becomes this powerful man of God. And he writes a couple of books that are found at the end of the New Testament. And in one of them he says, So get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with deceit and hypocrisy and jealousy and all unkind speech. And like newborn babes, crave the pure spiritual milk uh, that will grow you into f- full salvation. This is, the ver- this is kind of a weed and feed verse. Get rid of the bad. Hold on to the good. When I was born, I weighed 10 pounds and 11 ounces. 10 pounds, 11 ounces. My mother gets into heaven by default. Uh, you know, she's a little woman. Um, that's a Herculean task. That's why when mom says for, asks for me to do something, I do every, anything she wants because uh, I owe her big time. And she tells me that when I was in the hospital, I rubbed my little knees together because I couldn't get enough to eat. I still have the same problem. But when I read this verse, I think about, okay, well, when babies are hungry, they let you know. They never just sort of gently tap you on the shoulder and say, uh, when you get a chance, mom, I'd like a little something to eat. They, the word crave, well, it's powerful. And, and so this text tells us to, to crave. And then what we, when we grow, we grow slow. We like stuff to grow fast. We want things to happen quickly. There's a reason they advertise diet pills and they'll say things like, lose 20 pounds in 20 seconds. And we like that. But weight loss that lasts is weight loss that takes some time. Now, look, plants, there are quick-growing plants and slow-growing plants. I did research on this. The the fastest-growing plants... Radishes, 22 days. Cabbage, 30 days. Snap peas, 30 days. Turnips, spinach, arugula, zucchini. You want to know what they all have in common? They're horrible. That's what they have in common. Slow-growing vegetables. (laughs) Onions, tomatoes, peppers, everything you need uh, for a good pasta. Uh, uh, Garlic and ginger. I mean, all the good stuff. See... Growth is a process. It's a process. So next time you're at Walmart, I want you to do something. Or any, any store. Any grocery store. Go to where there is syrup. Okay? Will you do this for me? Syrup. Usually on the top shelf of the syrup aisle, there, there will be the organic syrup from Vermont. It, uh, it's comparable to the price of a gold bar. 
It is unbelievably expensive. I saw the other day, I think it was 12 ounces for $25. Now, just below that is the store brand, and it's uh, seven gallons for $2.52. You know, it's like, it's incredibly cheap. Well, there's a reason. Because the process of getting organic from Vermont syrup is tedious. Somebody has to go into the woods, find the maple trees, they hand drill a hole, they put a little metal spike in there, and they hang a bucket. And one tree during the day will drip not quite a gallon. 50 trees produce about 30 gallons. And the, the, the sap is clear, and it's got a tinge of sweetness. And so they'll collect this and they'll throw it into a vat and then they, they uh, boil it over an open fire. And as they do, uh, the water uh, evaporates and you're left with the sugar and it becomes golden and wonderful. And they strain it and they strain it and they strain it and then they figure out uh, what quality it is. And the end product is one gallon of syrup for every 30 or 40 gallons of sap. Well, let me tell you something. You're a sap. And I mean that in love of Jesus. God is taking us, funny, uh, God is taking us from sap to syrup. It's a process, and it's expensive. It's a process. It's a process. And so some of the process is the collection and some of the process is the being over the heat and all of it is helping us develop. And in 2 Corinthians it, says, Corinthians it says, we are becoming brighter and brighter, more and more like Him. It is the Lord, the Spirit who does this and God is working to create in us this spiritual person. You may not see it. When you're a parent and you have a kid and they're growing, you don't always notice the growth. Sometimes you do, like from one uh, school year to the next, you, they need new clothes because they're taller or whatever. But if you're a grandparent and you live far away and you only see your grandkids once every six months, you really notice it. If you're in the moment, the growth is slow. But an outside observer, the growth is remarkable. And you might not be where you want to be spiritually in your spiritual development. You might not be where you want to be. But if you're planting the seeds, He'll cause it to grow. It won't grow fast. It'll grow slow. Last thing, the results are worth the wait. And soon, as soon as the grain is ready, there's always this timing, these timing issues in Scripture. It talks about timing a lot. As soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. Uh, Christ came at just the right time, at just the right time, at just the right time. It happens over and over in Scripture. You hear that language, at just the right time. Let me end with this. There's a guy that wrote a fascinating book. Let me see what his name is. His name is Peter um, Volenden, W-O-H-L-L-E-B-E-N. He wrote this book called The Hidden Life of Trees. And he talks about how the trees grow best. Now, uh, in a canopy like this, in an area like this, there will be some saplings that uh, sprout. 
And they don't get a lot of sun and they don't get most of the moisture, but they grow slow and strong and their wood is dense. And those trees eventually take over the forest and they become the big trees. But let's say a lumberjack were to come in, a lumbering company, and they were to clear cut all of these trees and they plant saplings, saplings that have ample resource to the sun and to the moisture. Well, they grow fast, but they're more porous, which means they're more susceptible to disease and insects. And slow growth is the best growth because it causes you to be strong in your faith. So let me end with a question. We're all sowing seeds of some kind. The real question is, what kind of seeds are you sowing? Are are we sowing uh, presence? Are we sowing the seeds of solitude and silence of prayer are we sowing the seeds of kindness generosity love because what you sow is what you grow it 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 is an irrefutable principle of nature what you sow is what will grow So the challenge for us is to sow the right seeds and allow God to work in our hearts to grow us to spiritual maturity. Growth happens. but We have to sow the right seeds. Thank you, Father, for this day. For these words that you've given us. Thank you for how kind you are to us to cause growth in our lives. Help us to be... Help us to be eager and consistent in planting and sowing the right seeds in our hearts and in our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.